When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. This is your 10-minute mystery edition, a little slice of intrigue in the middle of your week. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with us as always, our storyteller and journalist, Paula Schleiss. Hi, everybody. It's been a while since we tackled the mystery of a town name. We found some good ones in the past. I think my favorite was Knock'em Stiff a little hamlet in Ross County where the people were wild and the name well-deserved. You can find that in our catalog of 10-Minute Mysteries on our website. So let's do another one tonight. This time, we're going to explore Utopia, another tiny crossroads that never grew into the village it hoped to be one day. It's located in Claremont County, an unincorporated hamlet in the far southern end of Franklin Township, all the way down there, right along the banks of the Ohio River. Don't blink or you'll miss it. A Cincinnati Enquirer reporter once determined if you travel through it going 60 miles per hour, you'd only be in town for 12 seconds. And yet, there is enough history here to fill a book. Utopia is unique in that its first three attempts at settlement came from groups of people who were trying an experimental society. Today, you'll find references to Utopia being called a ghost town, but I don't think they mean ghost as in empty, although it almost is. I think they mean ghosts, as in dozens of doomed and angry residents who haunt the place. So, let's start at the beginning. When a dozen families came to this scenic setting in 1844 with the dream of creating a utopian society. Many of these original settlers were from Cincinnati, 35 miles to the west. And this 1,200-acre plot of land in Ohio was their effort to create a perfect society. They were not, however, the ones to name it Utopia. They called it the Fourier Settlement. They were followers of Charles Fourier. He was a French philosopher and a founder of Utopian Socialism, a belief that all work and profits should be shared equally. I know, sounds pretty radical, But context is important, and at this time in America, 
communes like this were becoming kind of fashionable. You see, in 1844, the country was at the tail end of a financial panic that had left many people without jobs and destitute. Families were searching for a better way of life. And the idea of communities where people relied on each other in hard times seemed inspirational. Members of the Fourier settlement had to agree to, quote, sink their personal identity and interests for the good of the community. The sect also believed the world would be entering a 35,000-year-long period of peace, and this style of commune living was necessary to achieve enlightenment. So, Fourier's followers offered willing families a wooden house on a small parcel of land for $25 a year, and several accepted. The residents also built a three-story, 30-room communal brick house. But less than three years after it had begun, it was over. The commune wasn't making enough money. The residents didn't like each other all that much. And the settlers realized they really didn't want to give up their personal identity. In 1847, the Fourier followers sold their land to John O. Waddles, and a second experiment began. Waddles was the leader of a group of spiritualists who called themselves Excelsior. They believed the dead could communicate with the living and had important messages for them. Their style of living was combining business principles with religion. Waddles and his followers, about a hundred people and racially diverse, decided to change a few things about the town they'd bought, including moving that three-story building erected by the Fourier's to the river's edge, brick by brick. The building would become their town hall and double as the community's event hall. The locals tried to warn them not to do that. The Ohio River was prone to floods, and they were getting far too close to the danger zone. The warnings from the living were ignored. Too bad the spiritualists didn't get those warnings from the dead, who were such a big part of their faith. Because the move was completed in December of 1847, just in time for one of the biggest floods of the 19th century. On December 13th that year, persistent rain and snow had the Ohio River pouring over its banks and inching toward the town hall. Unfortunately, many of Utopia's residents had gone to the town hall for shelter because their own homes had been flooded. One report said 32 people had taken refuge there and, at 10 p.m., were preparing to go to bed when the river reached the building. In a flash flood, it washed out the south wall. Some of those inside were swept away into the river. Others were buried beneath the collapsing structure. Now, one report I found suggested 150 of 156 townspeople were killed that night. I don't know if that's true. The newspaper reports I could find spoke only of the shelter and that 17 of the lives inside were lost. The report said this, Not a murmur or a groan was heard from the crushed and smothered victims, 
for the water swept darkly and deeply over them. The dim moonlight looked down calmly and undisturbed upon the wreck that had overwhelmed the unseen dead, while the heart-rending cries from the living echoed fearfully in the hills. Anyway, about ten minutes after the structure failed, two skiffs arrived to rescue the frozen survivors who were still clinging to logs in the Ohio and those who had made it back to shore. Among the dead were the entire family of Moses Connell, a man well-known as a lecturer, three members of the Ransom family, the baker, John Hemphill, a visiting Scotchman named James McKisson, and an Irishman, Charles Keenan, and John Woodson, a black carpenter. Among the survivors were town founder John Waddles and his wife. That second attempt at Utopia had ended, but something else came quickly to replace it. As a matter of fact, a new experiment that was in some ways completely different from its original intent. The town was purchased by Josiah Warren as an individualist anarchist colony. Individual anarchism stresses individual will over the will of a group. It was a community with no hierarchy. By the way, it was Josiah Warren who renamed this community Utopia. But if you wanted to move into Utopia, you had to be invited. Josiah Warren reasoned that the most valuable individual liberty, after all, was the liberty to choose who to be associated with. Unlike the first two settlements, this one had no land owned communally. The community was based on a market economy, but goods and services were traded using its own barter system and a currency known as labor notes. This was an interesting theory. The price of something represented the amount of labor that went into it. For instance, instead of a bill saying $1, it might say three hours labor. If it took three hours labor to make that blouse, you would pay for it with bills representing three hours of labor. This way, prices were kept fair and people lived, as they would say, equitably. In less than a decade, the anarchist utopia had 40 buildings, half of them of an industrial nature, and there were two time stores in town, a time store being a retail outlet that only used labor notes. It must have worked. Even before Utopia, Warren opened one of his time stores with labor notes in Cincinnati, and once people understood how it worked, it became the city's most popular store. As for Warren himself, he left Utopia a year after its inception to lecture and assist in setting up other colonies, but he did return often to visit. In 1855, he stopped in and afterward remarked, My visit to that little germ of equitable society, now eight and a half years old, has given me higher hopes and expectations than I had dared to entertain. It is not the display that the little group of buildings makes to the eye, but knowing the means by which these have been acquired, and seeing that there the subject of equity has had eight years and six months of deep study and practical trial.
But even this experiment ran its course and began to fade away. There was the impact of the Civil War. Land prices were rising all around the outside of the town, which made expansion difficult. And that requirement of having to be invited in by an original settler in order to live there really limited its growth potential. As late as 1875, some of the original residents were still in town and some business was still being conducted using labor notes, but the project eventually dissolved. Utopia is not and has never been incorporated, but it's still recognized as a town name by the locals. When you're driving down U.S. Route 52, you'll see a small green sign letting you know when you're there. There's even a tiny general store across from an Ohio historical marker that designates the place. According to Roadside America, the stone house built by John Waddles of the Spiritualists is still there in a private residence. They say some even believe it's haunted by his angry followers who were doomed by Waddle's decision to move that town hall closer to the river. You could also probably add some other tragedies to the ghosts that reportedly haunt Utopia. In January of 1877, seven young men from Utopia decided to walk on a landing of ice in the Ohio River just below the town. The gorge broke and they were all drowned. There have been at least three cases where a murder victim washed up on Utopia's shores. In May of 1883, it was a local man, William Nyrick. Best I can tell, his murder was never solved. The second was in June of 1925, when a Utopia farmer, Samuel Schaefer, discovered the body of a nude woman floating in the Ohio River. Automobile tire chains were found about her neck to weigh her down. Several residents said they saw the woman with a man a few days earlier. They had stopped in at the store in Utopia to buy food and camped on the riverbank, but they were strangers. I could find no indication they ever determined who she was. The third body was found in 1952, this time a man, and again, no indication he was ever identified or how he ended up on the shores below Utopia to begin with. I found another tragedy, this one in 1947. A gasoline truck driving through town on US-52 collided with two cars. The truck caught fire, and the driver, as well as a 12-year-old boy in one of the cars, were killed. Anyway, collectively, that seems like an awful lot of tragedy for a community that was never more than a couple of streets, a few buildings, and a population that usually numbered fewer than 50 souls. Now, I mentioned ghosts at the beginning of this episode, and if you search the internet, you'll find reports of people who have seen strange apparitions. Some say locals have told them the apparitions are often seen coming out of the river and onto the shore. I found one from a guy who was driving through the state on his way to North Carolina many years ago. He was with a friend, and he said it was about 1.30 in the morning when they saw the roadside that said Utopia. Since it wasn't on the map they were following, they pulled over and turned on their hazard lights and stepped out of their car on a whim. 
It was foggy and chilly for being a summer night. The guy's friend noticed a strange figure in the distance, and they decided to move closer to see what it was. But after just a few steps, the image started looking more like the figure of a woman dressed in tattered farm clothes. They returned to the car to get their camera, but the apparition disappeared, and they were creeped out enough that they just hopped back in their car and kept going. Others have reported finding the basement of the church that John Waddles had built for his spiritualists. I've seen modern images, so clearly it is still there. It's enclosed and has an arched ceiling, but a couple of years ago, the steps that descended into it collapsed, and now it's ringed by a chain-link fence for safety reasons. If there are ghosts in town, I would think this would be a popular hangout for them. But I'm guessing it's no longer a place that welcomes the living. That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news, clippings, and more on this and every episode, hop on over to our website, ohiomysteries.com. We are also a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts, the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information or to check out other shows on this network, please visit evergreenpodcasts.com. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the facts from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.